0: What time do you want me to pick you up after school? Don't bother. I'll get a ride with friends. Oh, no, no. I got my orders. Uh, What time? Are you really this stupid? I said I would get a ride. I always get a ride. Hey, I'll just call the school, find out what time, and uh, I'll meet you right here. Go ahead. Call the school. I won't be here. Stand me up today. And tomorrow, I'll drive you to school in my robe and pajamas and walk you to your first class. Four o'clock, okay? I'm stunned that I'm related to you. You get the pole out of your keister, we're going to get along just fine. Did you ever have anyone embarrass you like this? No. Trying not to drop all my stuff here, I uh, I love that that clip from that movie. Um, I love his his rules, and as as Uncle Buck stays with them, he is a lot more lax on things like homework and bedtime and nutrition than uh, than what the kids are used to. But he's very different than their parents because he knows a little bit more about the way the world works. So he he spots some things that maybe the parents wouldn't and the teenager as you can see in the in the clip she really kind of she really dislikes him he really rubs her the wrong way and and they really have conflict he he meets her boyfriend and he recognizes immediately that this is a problem relationship and she doesn't see this and they have a lot of conflict over that and she doesn't like his boundaries and his rules, and she really rebels against it. But then once things get out of hand with the boyfriend, she suddenly recognizes his wisdom. And not only does she recognize it, she grows, she grows to appreciate the wisdom and the boundaries that he has put down around her because she realizes that this wasn't him on a on a power trip or this wasn't him not understanding her. This was him loving her and protecting her with with some of this. And I think a lot of times we react that way when we've got those boundaries and those rules in our life. We sort of want want to rebel and we don't understand the big picture. We were all that way as children. Most of us were absolutely that way as teenagers. And we are still that way sometimes with God. But I think there's a lot of peace to understanding not just what the, the rules and the boundaries are, but why they're there. And the closer we get to God, the more we can understand that. And our, our world is just filled with all of these, these boundaries around us, a lot of which are designed to keep us safe. A, a danger-don't-touch, high-voltage sign. It's not designed to keep us from having fun, from from grabbing that power line. It's designed to protect us. Danger, thin ice, beware of dog. These signs are there to protect us. And we take a lot of comfort. We get peace in our life from some of the safety protocols that are around us. I mean, would would you buy a car if they told you that, well, the brakes don't work and the brakes are irreparable? Would you buy that car? Would you buy a car without seatbelts, especially if you had children to, to drive from place to place? Did you, ever, did you ever lose your keys? I mean, that's a different kind of loss of, of sense of peace. But, I mean, have you ever lost something that you had in your hand 30 seconds ago? And have you ever spent time? I mean, you are tearing the house up. And you are looking places you know they can't be, but you haven't looked there yet and you can't find them anywhere else. Have you ever done that? And you have no sense of peace until you find those glasses or that phone or those keys. Have you ever... I, I know somebody, and I, I want to clarify it wasn't my wife because she's sitting right there, but I know somebody who once spent... I'm serious. It, it, it wasn't her. I feel like I've now dug myself into a, into a hole. I know somebody who spent time in their car looking for their phone several minutes late at night using the flashlight on their phone to look under the seats for their phone i mean and, and this like this this lack of peace we have when we lose something that reminds us of the peace we have when we know where everything is when we understand where stuff is we have this piece, will you please join me in prayer as we, as we start this morning. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to share with my church family. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning, to engage in, in powerful corporal, corporate worship together to sing your praises. Lord, I thank you for the reminders that you have given me all week, that you are in charge, not me. Lord, I pray that, that, that I will not be in the way this morning of what you want this church to hear. Let's lift this up in your son's great name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You are familiar with that. We've been there for a couple of weeks now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have talked about love and joy so far, and this morning we are talking about peace. Now, we're not talking about world peace, and I think that's an easy mistake to make because world peace is one of those, when we think of peace, we so often think about world peace because it's, it's kind of a big, high ideal, isn't it? And I don't think anybody in here would disagree that we could use world peace, so we tend, to, we tend to think that way, but that's not what the New Testament is referring to when it talks about peace. When Paul writes about peace, when Jesus mentioned peace, they're not talking about world peace. They're not talking about an absence of war or an absence of violence or an absence of conflict. They, of course, are not opposed to those things being gone, but that's not the ideal that they are aiming for because Jesus has a very different agenda. Than we do, he sees things in a very different way, and he has kind of a kind of a different scope, and stuff that we think is big as important it is not that big and important to him, and sometimes the stuff that we overlook that's the stuff he cares about so immensely. So, think about this: Jesus desires more than for there to be a world peace, a a, a lack of war and violence around the world, even more than that. Jesus desires to be a part of every human on earth, to know them and to have them know him. Wouldn't every soul on earth, knowing Christ and understanding his plan and his will for their life, wouldn't that be greater than just all war going away? I mean, I think all war going away might be a really good byproduct of that. But isn't it more important that people come to know him than that we, we aim for this ideal that if we can just get rid of violence, everything will be great. If we can just get rid of war, everything will be great. World peace is, is not something that's necessarily sustainable, even if we could find a way to cause it. Let me just ask all the married people in the room, not just the married men, but that's, that's kind of the, the direction I would be inclined to go. Is your marriage peaceful? I'm not asking, is your marriage healthy? I'm not asking, is it happy? I'm not asking if it's a good marriage. But does your marriage have total, complete, constant, 100% never interrupted peace? Probably not. Because the reality is you married an imperfect sinner. And so did your spouse. sam sam agrees with that a lot i'm not sure which part he agrees with but his wife is still smiling so that's a good indication it's a good indication you know if we can't maintain a constant lasting non-stop harmony with somebody who has legally declared that they love us if we can't keep constant harmony with them, how can we do it with strangers who are under no legal obligation to get along with us? I mean, I remind my wife constantly, you 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 legally agreed to this. <laughs> All the rest of the world out there didn't legally agree to get along with me. How can I expect them to do it when it's so hard to maintain that at home? And and we can't maintain that because we're humans. We're, we're selfish. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We unintentionally hurt each other's feelings. Sometimes we intentionally hurt each other's feelings. World peace is not sustainable. And, and even, even if all of you in this room figure out world peace and you spread it all over Keystone Heights and all over Florida and all over the United States and all over this continent and all over the world, and you you get us to the brink of complete and total world peace, I promise you I could screw it up because I am sometimes very selfish. I sometimes miss the point. I sometimes hurt people's feelings. Sometimes intentionally often very unintentionally. I could mess up world peace all by myself, but I'll bet I'm not alone. So the Bible, it's not referring to this, to this lofty ideal of, can we just have world peace? It's referring to the feeling of safety we get when we understand where some of those boundaries are in our life and what they're there for. So just like the rest of the, the, the fruit we've shared about love and joy... God wants us to be totally infected with the idea of peace. He wants us to be infected with peace and contagious with peace. We are so infected because that's how he wants us to live. So the question is, how do we get infected with peace and then how do we infect others? We, we actually toyed with the idea of, when we talked about the fruit of the spirit, to talk about how to be a contagious Christian as a title. But then, and that was, that was an idea that we had a long time ago. But then we decided in 2020, maybe we've heard enough of the word contagious and infection. I don't, maybe, maybe it's just me, and if you haven't heard it enough yet, you will very soon without us from the pulpit reminding you of those words. But how do we get peace in every corner of our life? I think there's three ways. We need to understand what our faith is. We need to understand what our faith isn't. And then we need to adopt that faith lifestyle 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, we understand what our faith is very simply. Read your Bible. And don't just read it to read it. Read it to understand it. Study it. Now, this is hard because we read the Bible and it's often confusing. We're often distracted. But spending time with God's Word is so important because there is no other way to understand God than to read His Word. There is no substitute for that. There there are no amount of sermons you can listen to. There there are no amount of praise music you can absorb. There are no amount of, of Christian breakfasts that you can have hanging out with your friends, there's no amount of that that is going to substitute for reading his word and spending time in his word to understand him. You want to understand your faith, read God's word. You want to understand what your faith isn't, not only read God's Word, but you need to spend time with God. You need to spend some time talking to Him so that He can direct your knowledge so that while you're reading, He can clarify some things to you. He's not gonna, you're, you're probably not going to be reading your Word and hear God's voice audibly from the closet say, Hey, Brother Sam, it means this, not this. You're probably not going to get that although God can do anything, maybe he will talk to you from your closet. But more than likely, you're just going to begin to understand better if you are talking to God about what you're reading. One of the most powerful prayers that I learned how to pray was saying, God, help me understand what I'm about to read. God, (laughs) I didn't understand what I just read. God, Tell me something about what I'm reading, about what I have just read. That has informed my ability to understand so much. It has revealed to me things that I never could have figured out on my own. Because if you don't know this, let me let you in on a little bit of a secret. I'm not that smart. But God is, and God can help me. want to understand what our faith is and spend time talking to him and he will help you clarify what your faith is. You want to adopt this faith as a -a 24-hour-a-day lifestyle, that means you have to purposely live it. You cannot come to church on Sunday mornings and count that as seven days' worth of 24-hour-a-day faith. No matter how great the church service might be, it doesn't count that way. One of the reasons this is so important to God that we live a life of peace, that we have peace just kind of overflowing out of us is because we're not here just for us. If we were here on this planet just for us, the moment you got saved, you'd fall over dead because you would have reached the finish line and you'd be done. And he'd bring you home. But you get saved, and now you're on the clock, and you're working, and you are supposed to be sharing this with other people. And you can't share it with other people if it's not so important to you that you're living it and you're walking through it. People aren't going to be interested in transforming their lives for something that you don't take seriously. Would you go and buy a brand-new Ford pickup, from a salesman who pulls onto the lot driving a Chevy and says to you, well, I want you to buy this Ford. Now, I'll ride around in a Ford once in a while on a Sunday morning, but I'm not owning one and I'm not driving one. Would you kind of start to second guess your purchase of a Ford maybe? If you're not willing to live it, how can you expect other people to want to transform their lives because of it? If they see that it's not that important to you, then why should they make it important to them? But if they look at your faith, and if they say, you know, I, I don't really understand what, what they have. But I see that it has transformed their marriage. I see how it, is, it has enhanced their relationship with their children, with their parents. I see this guy has got joy. Our pastor talked last week about joy. He's got joy in a job that I wouldn't last two minutes in. If they can see that it transforms you, then they're going to be curious about it. They are going to want to know more. But if they look at you and see that you don't care about it, why should they care about it? So that's how we get infected with this peace idea. We, we read, read to understand who God is. We study and we pray so we can figure out what God isn't and what our faith isn't. And then we make a conscious choice to live it constantly. I'm not giving you a lot this morning, but what I'm giving you, I think, is pretty important. Uh, how do we infect others? This is, this is really the, the, big, the big piece of our scripture for the day. We're in Philippians chapter 4. And if you've got your Bible, you want to turn. I'm going to start in verse 4 and take us to verse 9. If not, don't worry, Ben's going to have it up on the screen here. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Seems pretty simple. It's not a lot of verses on on how to do this, but if you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have that sense of peace from understanding where the boundaries are, find joy in all circumstances. And that seems almost like a rerun of what our pastor talked so greatly about last week. Find joy in all circumstances. He writes in verse 4. Look at, look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Except that second rejoice has an, an exclamation point. So he is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. He's yelling it. He's, he's giving us this command that we need to find some joy. And this is really hard medicine to take in the world we live in, isn't it? To train ourselves to see things differently than the world does? To train ourselves to find the joy in all circumstances? That's really kind of hard. I I spent four years in the Army. And a big part of the training, of, of basic training, is they try very hard to rewire your way of thinking So that you don't have to stop and think about how to react to certain things. That you can just react instinctively to those things. Things that you have never thought of as a civilian, now as a soldier, you're trying to rewire your brain so you react the appropriate way to those things. One of those things is to salute an officer. You salute your superior officers. And there was one, we were done with basic training, we were in our advanced training, and uh, this, this buddy of mine and I, we had left the chow hall, we were heading back to the barracks. And the barracks was, it wasn't far, it was maybe just like from here to Gasline Road. Uh, it was, you know, definitely a ways, but not, not very far, but it was, it was raining. It was one of those winter is coming cold rains. One of those rains, when you look at a puddle, it looks like the puddle is boiling. The water is, is hitting it so hard. And it was, it was just pouring rain. And this was first thing in the morning. We were leaving after breakfast, so we, we, we knew that getting wet was just going to, we were going to have to be wet all day. So we decided just to, to run as fast as we could through this rain to get back to the barracks. And as we are running, we walk right past this or not walk, but we run, we sprint right past this colonel. We didn't stop, we didn't salute, we, we just we just kept going. Well, we became aware of somebody behind us yelling, and we turn and look, and he was chasing us, and he stops us. Well, one of our drill sergeants saw that he was chasing us, and so the drill sergeant came, and what did these two idiots do that they've got a colonel running them down? So the drill sergeant came out, and the colonel immediately says, do do these guys belong to you? So now, not only have we not respected the colonel, we've now made our drill sergeant look like he hasn't told us how we are supposed to act, and they had us do push-ups for about two hours there in the rain, I mean, we could no longer do push-ups by the time this was done. The rain was, like, up to here on our arms as we're down doing push-ups at the, at the muddy side of the road. Every time you went down, your face was underwater. So you couldn't just, like, fall down and rest or you would, you would drown. It was, it was horrible. But you know what it did? It helped me make a reflex that when I'm passing somebody, oh, I was checking to see if they were an officer. And if they were, I knew that I was going to salute because I wasn't ever going to have that happen to me again. It, it retrained me to make that an instinct. Just like when you're in driver's ed and you're, you are learning. Zach was talking about driver's ed with me this morning. You are learning. You take your foot off of the brake and you move it over, or you take your foot off of the gas and you move it over to the brake and you put it on the brake and you, you push down gently. And then with a gentle but firm pressure, you push a little bit more to slow down, and then a little bit more to slow down more, and then a little bit more to stop. When you're in driver's ed, that's the way you think. When you're out driving, you don't think that way. You just instinctively put your foot on the brake to slow down and stop your car. And you don't have to think about it. You just do it. You put those turn signals on and off, at least most of you do, when you're turning without stopping to think of it. Some of you should stop to think of it. Just a a suggestion. But... These things become instinct. And that's what Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. He doesn't say it again. He kind of shouts it there. Rejoice. Make it an instinct to find the joy. Make it an instinct to find the good stuff. Make it an instinct, no matter what your circumstances, that you figure out what God is doing good somewhere around you. the point where you don't have to stop and think all right what is god must be doing something good today what is it what can i possibly think of you just you know every day you know what god is doing good around you even when your life hurts even when life is hard you make it that instinct you want to be contagious you find the joy in all circumstances verse 5 be bold about what you find let your graciousness be known to everyone the Lord is near. Be overflowing with kindness and courtesy to, this is the, the, the participation point of the morning. You, you be, let your graciousness be known to everyone. i give you a little bit of hint. Thank you, Kathleen. Let your graciousness be known to, to all, to everyone. When I point, say everyone. That's, that's, that's where we're going here. We should have, well, you know what, next time we'll practice before the live stream starts. And anybody watching at home, they'll think we're all over it. So be overflowing with kindness and courtesy too. All right. Now, now we got it. To, to, to those people who vote different than you, those people who vote different than you and they tell you all about it, those people who vote different than you and they tell you all about it, and then they tell you how wrong you are for not voting like them, they are part of the? And when we're gracious and kind to them, we are being gracious and kind too. We need to be kind and gracious to people that are mean, to people that are rude, to people that are selfish, to people that are unhappy, to people that are broken, to people that are sinners. We need to treat them well because we need to be gracious to. And we have trained ourselves to reflexively find the joy, no matter our circumstances, so that we can let our graciousness be known to so that everybody sees that we have an internal joy. They need to see that. And before you tell me, well, it's, 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 it's hard, Mark, because that's not really fair because they're mean to me. So it's not fair if I'm, if I'm nice to them. Let me tell you that we need to be thankful that God is not fair to us. Because if God was fair to you, where would your eternal destination be? God was not fair with me, and I am very thankful for it because I have not earned eternity in heaven. He gave it to me anyways. And He gave it to me because of how awesome He is. Not because of how awesome I was, or am, or will be. So when we know where we belong and we can overflow that joy that we find, that is that sense of peace that not only we have, but now we are sharing it with other people. Because we don't care about being balanced and treating them the way they treat us. We care about treating them the way God has told us to treat them. And that means we need to forgive those who hurt us, those that hurt others, those that do damage. And let me clarify, if somebody hurts you, if somebody damages you, if somebody is is bad for you and your family, you need to forgive them. But that doesn't mean that you need to forget what they did and welcome them back into your circle. I have, I have said this before. If If I go out of town and I have Brother Sam come over and house sit for me and dog sit for me. If I come back and Brother Sam sold my cars and sold my television and my dog is missing and and the house is all tore up. I can forgive him, but the next time I go out of town, I'm not calling him to house sit for me. I'll forgive him, but I'm not going to forget I'm not saying that when people hurt you, the Christian thing to do is just keep bringing them back into your life to hurt you over and over. I'm not saying that. That's not what God wants. But God wants you to find joy in life, and that joy often comes when we find a way to forgive those that have hurt us. There isn't one person that you are ever going to meet, see, talk to, read about or hear about that Jesus didn't hang on the cross for. So we need to show love and compassion to love your neighbor and who is your neighbor? Absolutely. We're 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 done with that that portion. You don't have to you can stop paying attention now. So find the joy, be bold about what you find. And pray all the time. Verse 6, this is really important. Don't worry about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Take the things you worry about, the burdens you carry, the things that keep you awake at night, those things that make you tired, the things that hurt you, the things that hurt others, everything, we went from everyone to everything, but I'm, I'm not. if I point, you don't have to say anything. From everyone to everything, everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. So that means we must reflexively learn to find the joy because this ties into what Paul is saying because we have to share our burdens with thanksgiving. We need to find things to be thankful about as we pray about the things that we are burdened with. Why? Why? Because that is how we find peace. And why does God want us to be doing that? Because God wants you to be sharing him with the world around you. And it is impossible for you to get people excited about coming to know Jesus if you have no joy in your life. Oh, you should come to church with me. God's pretty good. And my wife treats me bad and my boss is mean and we got all kind of financial trouble and I had all these medical problems and my kids are the worst and I don't sleep really good at night and my car's falling apart. and Boy, God's so good. Would you come to church with me? People, they don't want that. But if you find things to be excited about, that, that, that old saying, enthusiasm is contagious... When you are asking for stuff you want and you need, if you can genuinely have joy in your life in the midst of that, when you're talking to God, then God knows he can use you to talk to your neighbors. Then God knows he can use you to build up your fellow believers when they are struggling. God knows that he can use you if you show up ready to be used. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace beyond what you can understand will be in your heart and in your mind and will guard your heart and will guard your mind. If you do these things, God's peace is going to be in your life. And if God's peace is in your life, how do you infect somebody when you're sick? You don't have to think about it. It just kind of happens. If I have the flu and I go up and hug Brother Sam, I don't have to think, I got the flu, I hope I'm giving it. He's just going to get the flu whether I think about it or not. If we are infected with peace, we're going to be passing it along without even thinking about it. Finally, brothers and sisters, we're almost done. This is verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So let me ask you, what is true? What is honorable? What is just? What is pure? What is lovely? What is commendable? What is morally excellent and what is praiseworthy? Jesus. God dwell on him let just absorb everything he's got and and how do you do that you read his word let me boil 2020 down for you really really easily what pastor steve wants and what i want let me just let me just condense every sermon we've had in 2020 read your bible and spend time in prayer amen you just got like 52 sermons right in a row right there. That's, that's what we want. Now, it seems kind of simplistic, and it kind of is, but it is so holy and so deep and so life-transforming. That's why we keep hitting that button, because that button is the button to hit. Dwell on God, get to know him and soak in him so you can understand your Bible so that you can get infected with all this stuff. Verse 9 says, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. If you want God with you, you've got to be with him. That means you've got to do some of this stuff. And, and don't, please, let me just end with this. Don't mistake peace for fairness. Don't mistake it for some sort of spiritual equality. Because sometimes your kingdom impact will be a ministry that reaches a lot of people. There have been some great evangelists that, that reach thousands of people. There have been some great pastors that, that preach and disciple to hundreds of people. There, there are people that, that they just lead dozens of people to the Lord. And then some of us, we spend all of this time doing all this stuff, and we are so passionate about it. And and our ministry, we transform one life. But you know, God has this different perspective than us. And to him, that ministry to one is just as important as that ministry to dozens or to thousands. Jesus told the story of the shepherd who left the many to find the one. He cares so incredibly about the one. He didn't hang on the cross for all big group of people. He hang on the cross for individuals, every individual on the planet. He hung on the cross for you, not because you just happened to be part of a group. He hung on the cross for you, no matter what group you were in or what group you weren't. So don't forfeit your own spiritual peace by looking at another believer and feel like you're making less of an impact or you're understanding it less or you're doing it less or, or you, just, you just can't figure it out as much as they can because kingdom impact to one person or to thousands means nothing to somebody who doesn't know the Lord and to an unsaved person who is hell bound it doesn't matter if one believer has reached 1,000 people and another believer has reached one person if nobody has reached him. This is not about competing with other Christians. This is about your walk with Jesus and what you do with your walk with Jesus. If you want to have peace in your life, you need to understand what he wants for you. And these things that I've talked about this morning, these are the things he wants. The fruit of the Spirit, that's the stuff he wants for you to have. You uh, join me in prayer.